Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. How about those Habs, eh? Yeah, I was, I've kind of been on and off cheering for them. I'm not really mm-hmm. cheering for them. I'm cheering for the comeuppance of everyone who attacked the Canadian division this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's more of actually what's happening. And it's, so it's nice to see. Yeah. There was a lot of, you know, frankly, kind of ridiculous commentary about the Canadian division being weaker than the other ones. Mm-hmm. How, how would you know? It is true exactly. that none of the Canadian division teams had done particularly well the previous year. Like they hadn't been in the top 10 teams in the league. Uh, but they had all, lots of them have been grouped right in the middle of the NHL. Six of the seven were in the middle third, and a couple of them, Toronto, yeah. especially, was clearly on the rise, and, and Ottawa and, was clearly and on and the rise. Yeah, and the one week on team. The rise. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was a little bit ridiculous. So it's nice to see see that because how could you know which division was yeah. best unless you're playing out the season it was it was something that no one could really comment on and people seem to make pretty strong oh, assertions not with any not not with any legitimate authority but people sure seem to comment on it a lot and i just had concerns because of zero overlapping play you know if montreal falls meekly to vegas it's just going to be more carping about how poor the canadian division is and what do you know? Montreal waxed Vegas in four of the last five games, deserved to win the one they lost, and uh, uh, you know really held their own and then some in the series. Uh, shut down uh, the top seed, remaining seed in the playoffs, and uh, away they go. The fourth place team in Canada is suddenly in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think the Habs may have been the 16th seed entering the playoffs of the 16 teams in terms of their points and on the season. Because they had to, they had to wade through that tough Canadian division, right? <laughs> the division of death, I've heard it called. <laughs> uh, Indeed. Well, I got one stat for you, and then we can move on. Shorthanded in the playoffs. Shorthanded. Uh, Montreal scored four goals and allowed three. All the other teams in the playoffs have scored six goals and allowed ninety-seven. You got to be. I think their PK is doing the job, don't you? And you also have to be lucky to be good. Oh, yeah. Not There's too. a bit of luck in there. I Someone made a funny comment about <laughs> the playoffs are too short a sample size. We should just throw them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> throw out all the results. Throw out the Stanley Cup winner. I thought that was funny. Uh, okay, Bruce. Today we're going to talk about a few different things. We'll talk about Zach Cassian, Kyle Turris, and James Neal. Keep, hold, or fold. What the order should do with those three players going forward. And we'll just do a quick roundup of the news. And kind of the one of the things that Oilers fans have been talking about this week is Matej Blumel, who is a player who just turned 21 years old. He plays for Pardubici of the Czech League. He uh, six feet, 200 pounds, drafted fourth round, 100th overall in the 2019 draft. And a player that I'm not that familiar with, except by his statistics, he had a great final year for the Waterloo Blackhawks in the USHL, 60 points in uh, 58 games, including 30 goals. And that got him drafted uh, by the Edmonton Oilers as a 19-year-old, I guess, mm-hmm. at the time. Second so he year was, of eligibility. Yeah, second year. Anyway, he he was expected to go to U.S. college hockey. He did not go. He ended up in Pardubici. His first year in Pardubici was kind of unexceptional, just five points in 31 games, but he had a breakthrough season 
which we saw clips of on the internet. Uh, 32 points in 49 games. He made the Czech team at the, to go to the uh, World Championships this year. And what we saw, Bruce, was what the Oilers need. We saw a guy with a great one-touch shot just get the puck fired in the net. And <clears throat> he was so strong at that that I was seeing him as a excuse me, <clears throat> legitimate candidate to be a... Um, maybe top six, like mm-hmm. not a great candidate, maybe right. just a one in five kind of mm-hmm. bet yeah, yeah. that he would turn out. Fourth but round when pick. you see that kind of talent, that great talent for shooting um, and the owners having the need for that, he looked like a good prospect. So lo and behold, June 1st comes and it's the last opportunity the owners have him to sign him to an ELC and it, and it doesn't happen. So there's been a lot of consternation among Oilers fans about why didn't that happen? And I'm going to suggest right now, there's not a good answer right. to that. We, we There's some unknowns around this. Um, Bob Stoffer, the Oilers, suggested that the Oilers decided not to sign him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's how, but um, there's also suggestions that he's got a three-year deal without an out clause right now. That, so maybe the orders couldn't, well, he's got a three-year deal, so the orders couldn't have signed him unless, I guess he would exercise, if he did have an out clause, yeah. he would that exercise that right now. And that, that does happen. So it's, there's a real, I don't know, when when did he sign, is there anywhere on when he might have signed that contract, nope. Bruce? Do we know that? No, nope. yeah, yeah, the odd thing is that June 1st time, it came and went without any buzz at all. And all of a sudden this week, like three weeks later, all of a sudden, it's hey, the Oilers don't didn't sign Matej Blumel back on the deadline of June first, and there there's a couple of wrinkles here. One is that last year that deadline got pushed back because of COVID, uh, but your deadline for for signing players drafted out of North America is two years after the previous draft, less than a few days. Because if a guy doesn't get signed, he goes back in the draft, so it has to be resolved mm-hmm. before the next draft. So in a normal year, that's June first, and this year they've they've returned to that deadline even though the draft is a little bit later uh and because he was drafted from north america even though he went back home like we we look at guys that uh uh oilers drafted you know four years ago philip bergman marcus niemelein and they signed them to they have four years to sign guys out of europe and they waited the whole four years before they signed them well Sure, they signed. They would have signed Blumel out of Europe, but they drafted him out of North America, so that tightened up that deadline from four years to two. And the deadline was June the first, and it came and went. And uh, I mean, I didn't notice it. You didn't notice it. The Oilers on the uh, on the uh, on their own social media page. And now, mind you, this isn't the decision makers that do the social media page. But on June first, they had two separate tweets about Blumel's performance in in. Uh, playing in the world championships and one of those tweets it was very odd uh, it had exactly one reply from one fan uh saying but he his deadline just passed to expire and there was no response nobody seems to even have seen it and uh uh three weeks later all of a sudden the crap hits the fan and uh it's not a good look frankly david i mean the orders i mean they've had enough top 100 draft picks that they've lost for various reasons. They've traded some away, obviously. Uh, to me, the league has stolen no fewer than three top 100 picks off the Oilers in the last 
uh, six or so years with the uh, executive compensation boondoggle that robbed them of, uh, of picks for uh, Todd McClellan and Peter Shirelli. And then the, uh, the James Neal boondoggle where uh, the league assumed Neal scored 21 goals when he actually scored 19, awarded Calgary that pick. So the orders have been running short on draft picks, but here they actually had a pick. They used it. They got a, a good pick and a guy who in his second year after his draft just surged way ahead of his, what he did in his first year. Now that's a guy you sign no matter what, I think. Like, why not? And well, yet, so so we don't know though, Bruce. Like, we could don't. They, so there's, 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 there's three options perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like they missed it. They missed the yeah. deadline. That's possible, I guess. I you hate to okay. think so, but. The the other one is they couldn't sign him. He's got a contract. He didn't mm-hmm. want to opt out, or yeah. um, he couldn't opt out. So mm-hmm. so those are options too, right? We don't okay. know. Uh, is there a third option? Yeah, um, they chose not to sign him. Oh yeah, third excuse option. me. They chose. They could have signed him, and they they chose not to. We we don't know what it is, so we don't know what to make of it. Uh, well, like I don't know, I don't. I personally don't know what to make of it. I'm going to leave it there. Like other people, can can have an opinion. Like, it would be good for the Oilers to clarify. I think, like in terms of communicating with their fans, I think the mistake they're making, if if they their mistake is is not to say here's what happened, and right. to make it crystal clear what happened. That's that would be proper communication because there are these questions. You're you're saying a lot of people are saying what you're saying. This is a mistake. And you have a lot of fans saying that, well, they should say, they should say what they did. And then people will know one way or another. Like I just, you can, uh, the fact that they're not saying something is a mistake. That's their mistake. If you ask me. Well, Bob, ter- Bob, said Bob Stoffer said something, but he's not really the spokesman for the team. No, he's, you know, he's, 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 uh, he's out there. Now, one of the really odd things here is, uh, uh, Matej Blumel's own, uh, Twitter page sites in two places uh, on his pinned tweet and on his profile uh, it uh, I was just trying to bring it up here on my computer it says Edmonton, says he's an Edmonton Oilers prospect says he's an Edmonton Oilers an Edmonton Oilers prospect yeah yeah so now no, he he's not on Twitter all the time so he, that right. that may be nothing right because he's not Twitter's not top of mind for him like it might be for you and I he's not there every day right. talking to people so that might not mean that could just be old. He has yet to update it, but it's, it's, it, it's a, they need to communicate and, and, um, for people to assume they made a, made a mistake is not a terrible, like they've made mistakes in the past. So who knows, who knows? Here's what it says. Uh, his profile says Dinamo Parjabiche, uh, Edmonton Oilers prospect. And his pin tweet from his draft day says, so proud to be part of the Edmonton Oilers organization. Can't thank enough to all coaches, teammates, and especially to my family. And he's never changed that. And most players, when their status changes, when they become a free agent, when they move on from a team, one of the very first things they do or their camp does is they go and they update their various social media accounts. And he would say a proud member of Parjabiche Dynamo for the next three years or something, right? But Nothing like that. So yeah. who the heck knows? And I mean, his last regular tweet was uh, uh, about Thomas Missouri back on January 12th. So it's not like he uses his Twitter feed all the time. But it's just another sort of curio that what the heck is going on here? This sounds like a guy who was anxious to, 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 to go for his NHL. And now 
So Nima Leinen was drafted in 2006, and he went back to Europe. Yep. But the Oilers retained his rights for some yeah. reason for, for free. Because this is years later. Yeah, it's he one, was drafted. You're right. He was drafted out of Erie. It's was three it or, or four seasons of, later. And they finally and they sign him. So I like listen. I'm not going to pretend that I know the all the various different rules around the CBA signing players and. Oh, you have a point, but it, it is a little confusing. But whether I'm confused or not isn't isn't the point. The orders shouldn't be confused. They got to know the rules, and they should now communicate to their fans what happened here. Did you decide yeah. to move on? Oh, be terribly embarrassing to say we just forgot we had a chance to sign him and we didn't realize it and we forgot. Well, they could still um, sign him if they wanted to. He's a free agent. Well, that's so, that's it. They know, can sign him now, right? If yeah, fix it. If if he's <laughs> if he's keen to sign, but now he is a free agent. He can sign with whoever he wants. Like yeah. like I was thinking. Well, maybe his agent should have contacted the orders and forced yeah. him. Maybe, maybe his agent didn't want to because now he's in a better bargaining position, right? Like in theory, to get a better, slightly better rookie contract or something like that. Now, there's other suggestions like. You know, would he have a place for himself in the in the top two lines or top three lines in Bakersfield? It's probably better in terms of this player's development. I could see them saying like it's best that he stays another year in. Um, so loan him out in 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 the Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah, loan him out. I mean, that's what they All did right. with Broberry and a bunch of other guys, right? Is they loaned him out to to Europe, even you know other years besides this insane last season where they loaned out like sixteen guys. But I mean that that was uh, clearly an option as well, and uh, he because he was drafted as an overager, he doesn't go back in the draft. Now he's too old for the draft, so he's, he's just a completely agent. a free agent. And yeah, what Let's, was that? That's my yeah. question. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Bruce, there's a rumor that the Philadelphia Flyers. This comes from a, a beat reporter in Philadelphia, Inquirer, Sam Charchidi, that the orders or that the Flyers are interested in a huge group of defensemen, but one of them, and, and he, he, the reporter presented this as here's the Flyers. This is who's on their radar. So he, he's saying this, it sounds like he's heard from someone in the Flyers organization that he's just not, he's just not making his own list. He's actually making the Flyers list. And on the list was Adam Larson, um, along with, uh, Cast Tyson of thousands: Berry. Dougie Hamilton, Tyson Berry, Seth Jones, Matt Dumba, Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, David Savard. You get the idea. So it's a it's a laundry list of of players that, in theory, the Flyers would be interested in. The only thing that I think is relevant to this is there's a lot of talk. Should the order sign Larson now before the expansion draft, or wait till right. he's a UFA? Here is the risk. You know, because everyone, there's lots of people saying, well, you just, you know, armchair GMing, armchair GM, it's saying, well, you, of course, you're not going to sign them before the expansion draft. You wait till after it's over and you um, sign them then and then you, you're able to protect another player. Right. Well, this is this would be the risk that Seattle comes mm -hmm. along before the and, and this, oh. you know, you're a UFA. We have a negotiating window here. Uh, we want you, Adam Larson. We're right. going to negotiate. We're going to offer you four and a half or five million dollars a year. Or now, I think um, at, right after the expansion draft and before the free agent window opens, then you could then sign Adam Larson. Yeah. So the the real risk of is that Seattle would outbid you on Adam Larson. Is that a possibility? I think that's a, that is within the realm of possibilities. They would want this player, and they would uh, offer him a good contract. 
so that's that's why you would cite him now is to um get rid of that possibility what do you I think, think it's more likely they would want tyson barry frankly um uh, just because of the potential role he could play on their team as a you know a point producing power play you know like a a specific offensive defenseman uh, role that they're going to be looking for so he's the more likely one to me that Seattle might be interested in though I'd be why, surprised. Why do you say this though, Bruce? Because if Edmonton values Adam mm-hmm. Larson over Tyson Berry, why wouldn't Seattle? Why wouldn't Seattle think the same thing? If 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 they have like minded if they've done their scouting and Edmonton's watched these two players closely now and they're thinking Adam Larson not Tyson Berry well I guess Edmonton has a replacement Edmonton for Tyson has Tyson. Evan Bouchard and Seattle yeah. doesn't so oh, yeah. maybe maybe uh, I mean this list from Philadelphia like they're looking for a potential partner <laughs> for Ivan Provorov and uh, who's clearly their number one defenseman and looked like to me it looked like the reporter just went to the list of these are the top 15 free agents on the market this summer and he just listed them all as possible partners because I mean there's a lot of chalk and cheese in there I mean Ivan Provorov with Adam Larson would be a very different pairing than Ivan Provorov with Tyson Berry just to talk about the two guys we know uh, yeah. you know and it's just well we got to get a defenseman who's out there so I mean I, I, I seriously doubt that Philly is at this point targeting either guy they're just sort of playing the field and as they should be you know I mean the field is going to open up on July 28th and until then they're they have uh, uh, um, sports writers who have uh, column inches to fill or whatever we call the, uh, the the inches that we fill on the screen, uh, I mean, we have to do the same thing ourselves, right? So, you know, you talk about the realm of possibilities and those guys are, are in it. They have uncertain futures and they would, you know, be useful players if they were able to land them in Philly. So it, it might be that he, yeah, that, he, I mean, what he said was here are some of the defensemen on the Flyers radar. Right. Uh, so he, he sounded like he was speaking for the Flyers, not mm-hmm. his own opinion, but you, who knows? Bruce, Zach Hyman, um, there was a really interesting conversation in Toronto about Zach Hyman between James Myrtle and uh, Jonas Siegel of The Athletic. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a podcast called The Leafs Report. Um, I didn't, I don't usually listen to it, but I listened this time because Hyman's name has come up so often on Oilers right. Now and in other discussions about someone the Oilers might be interested in. Mm-hmm. And it just was a very interesting conversation because it sounds like they're, it reminded me of the conversations we're having in Edmonton about Ryan Nugent Hopkins, where um, you have a player who's, uh, who you, he's a good player, but he's, he's getting up there. Hyman's 29 and uh, is a UFA. And, and, you know, it's like, you'd love to keep this guy, but only at the right price. And you're kind of getting your head around him leaving and justifying that to yourself. And you're consoling yourself that the money that this guy would get will now go to other players and it's all going to work out. It, it just right. reminded me, that's the conversation. That's kind of where we are in Edmonton with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And this is where they were in Toronto with Zach Hyman. And they were looking in a, at a, in a really kind of hard headed way uh, at Hyman. And, you know, at one point, C, Jonah Siegel opines is like, you know, these are the kinds of guys that you have to walk away from. Right. So they're saying this about Zach Hyman in Toronto, like, and, it, and maybe um, it, it was kind of, it was a, it's a kind of a cautionary statement from them about Hyman. And I think 
maybe the same, we're going to be saying the same thing about Nuge is he's just the kind of guy with the kind mm-hmm. of money he wants and the, and the kind of payday that UFAs get at that age that you just, you just got to walk away from him. And uh, so that was my first thought on the whole thing is it's uh you have to have these tough moments. Every franchise has them and it's, mm-hmm. it's not an easy moment. Mm-hmm. And maybe if the Oilers, if Toronto's going to walk away from Zach Hyman, maybe that's what the Oilers should be thinking about Zach Hyman too, is not getting very deep on this player. Well, he's 29 years old now. Uh, he, you know, he's a nice sized uh, forward, 6'1", 209. Uh, he's listed here as a, as a uh, center, but he mo- he doesn't take very many face-offs, and he's played mostly on the wing and mostly with uh, uh, pretty, pretty high-powered line mates. And he's had really five good NHL seasons. Uh, you know, he's he's always over 30 points. He's always 15 or more goals. He's always a big plus player. Uh, you know, like he's a nuts and bolts guy. He digs out pucks and he gets them to guys that can do th- something with it. And they do something with them. I mean, Oilers could really use a player of that sort. Uh, but at a certain point, it has, you know, it has to, it, it has to make sense financially. Right. I mean, if you're paying six million dollars for support players for your twelve point five million dollar uh, center, or your eight point five million dollar center, well, you're going to run out of cap space sooner than later. So, you know, you need to get a guy who checks all the boxes. He checks a lot of boxes and he checks opponents as well. Like he's a good defensive player and they need they need that. Heaven knows. But they have. uh, uh when I hear things being bandied around like six years, let alone six times six, when the guy's 29 years old already and he's kind of a more in the, I don't know if he's true power forward, but he's you know more in that realm where you think when he gets to 32, 33, what's he going to be, right? Is he going to be Nick Foligno by then? And chances are, yeah, maybe he will be. And Nick Foligno at 33 is a guy that used to be good, right? Well, didn't the Leafs just trade a first pick to get Nick Foligno. <laughs> yeah, that's why kind of his name was at the tip of my tongue. But so Bruce, for for me, the question is: is he is he is he Nick Foligno, or is he the name that, that I think of as Andrew Ladd, a right. very similar player? And yeah. uh, he yep. he signed with, when he was twenty nine with the with the Islanders, July first, twenty sixteen, right. He was one of the day. thirty that, dozen that signed these ridiculous deals led by Milan Lucic and others. Yes, James Neal's another example. This is a kind mm-hmm. of a Andrew Ladd's a better comparable, but James mm-hmm. Neal. I mean, so is he Milan Lucic, Cal Turris, Matt Duchesne, Jeff Skinner, Louis Erickson, Ryan Kessler, Andrew Ladd, Franz Nielsen, Kyle Poza, James Neal, Derek Stepan? Is he that, yeah. or is he the exception to the rule? And the exception to the rule is Chris Kunitz. Mm-hmm. Chris Kunitz is exactly the kind of player the Edmonton Oilers need to play with Connor, Connor McDavid, this two-way winger who's defensively responsible and is a smart hockey player who can fit in with, who doesn't need the puck on his stick and can fit in with a superstar. And Chris Kunitz went to the Pittsburgh Penguins at about age 29, and he had seven really good years on on uh, Sidney Crosby's wing. So, so part of me has that narrative in, in my head, like, oh, he could be that guy for Connor McDavid for the next five years, six years and problem solved, huge problem solved. But then Mm -hmm. you look at all of these very similar kind of players, like that long list of players who are very, very good players until they're 28, 29. And then suddenly the downward slope is so fast on that long list of players. And we suffered Milan Lucic and now we're suffering through James Neal in the same way. Um, We have intimate experience of this kind of pain. 
So uh, I just, I could see why they would go, like I could even see why they would go for Hyman over Ryan Nugent Hopkins and be more interested in, in him than Nugent Hopkins because Nuge was tried on McDavid's wing and for a full season and the results were really unspectacular. So, But in terms of Hyman myself, I'm just, I don't know. I, I haven't watched him myself. I haven't. Mm-hmm. I don't know the player that well. I'm not, I can't, I don't really have an, I don't have an informed opinion. I just have these actuarial tables of players like him and how things tend to turn out. They don't, they tend to not to turn out very well, I guess. But, but on the other hand, when you're going for the Stanley cup, you have to take some risks. You got to go, you got to go for it. And then, and then you, then your risks have to pay off. You know, you're going to have to bet the house on one or one, a couple times on players that are, 50 50 propositions or even 30 70 propositions is this the time to do it is this the player to do it on high time they got one right so that's all i can say <laughs> that's now, not very it, encouraging hockey reference it's funny they it's list uh, they have a thing called similarities uh score yeah where they compare yeah. players to other guys i guess who's on the list as a comparable for uh zach hyman andrew James, ladd yeah. oh andrew ladd yeah and, yeah and kyle ocposo yeah, Saints, another yeah. one of those July first, twenty sixteen guys, oh. and you know, and not not always similar players. Sergey Nemchinov, Matthew Perot, for instance, uh, Ron Flockhart, and Cl- Cliff Ronin going way back. So yeah, it's uh, they're not that it's, familiar. It's, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty odd. But he he's a uh, a classic late bloomer man. He played four years in college, and his first three years he played full year every year in Michigan. First three years combined, he had 13 goals and 35 points. And then in his senior year, he had 22 goals and 54 points. It's just like he bloomed out of nothing into this big-time scorer. And then he, he was with the Marlies for uh, most of one season, and then he was a Leaf. And he was part of that big rookie class that Toronto had when uh, Matthews and Marner uh, came in together. And it was... Uh, um, uh, it was a uh, that was a turning point for the franchise, and he was part of that. And he was kind of linked with those players, and he's played with them a lot. So I think that certainly helped him, but he's helped them. Let's be clear. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's a uh, if they sign him, I mean, mm-hmm. you hope for the best, right? Because there's a chance he could be Chris Kunitz. There's a mm-hmm. chance it will work out, but mm-hmm. I'd say that chance is less than fifty percent, right? I don't think that's a. I don't think it's a good At bet that that's going to happen. Yeah, at that price. I don't think it's a good bet. I think it would be just like the people in Toronto are saying, consoling themselves. It's the kind of thing you walk away from. Uh, on the other hand, you got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. It really is time for the Oilers yeah. to start winning. And maybe you think, well, what if he's what if he is Chris Kunitz just for three years? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's good enough. Maybe you do that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I from what I hear of Hyman, six. from 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 the from what other people say about Hyman this year, mm-hmm. it's it's not signing Milan Lucic at the same time. There was, I think, some clear indications that Milan Lucic had taken a step back in his game. Hyman's peaked. He he's playing as well as he's ever played. He he was talked about as somebody who could make the Canadian Olympic team the next time this time around, like that good of a two way player. So now maybe that's just Toronto hype talking, probably, but. Um, yeah, an interesting decision that's going to be coming up for both the Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers, it looks like, if they don't sign him, if the Leafs don't sign him. Bruce, let's let's segue to this, to the keep hold of hold part of this mm-hmm. podcast and to James. Let's go to right to James Neal because he, 
whatever it was three years ago entering into free agency he was zach hyman and he got the big deal and and the flames really came to regret it and um the oilers now have a decision to make about james neal what would you do keep hold or fold fold in this case is a buyout four Mm -hmm. years the buyout would uh, consist of uh the next four years the oilers would have to have a cap hit of one point uh nine million dollars per year 1.9 million dollars per year in the short term though they would get an, a savings of for the next two seasons they would get a savings of extra cap money of 3.8 million dollars mm-hmm. two years in a row mm-hmm. awfully enticing for a team pressed up against the cap looking to win now and should be looking to win now should be looking to win now mm-hmm. keep hold or fold what do you do fold I fold on Neil. Uh, I mean, the whole raison d'etre of that trade was that the Lucic contract was unbuyoutable. And they were whoever had Lucic is basically stuck with the contract because his bonus structure is such that you're going to pay him and ha- have him count against the salary cap whether, uh, whether he's bought out or not. Uh, whereas uh, Neil's contract... Uh, it was very similar. Like they both had four years left at the time of the trade. Uh, Lucic was at six million, Neil at five and three quarters. But Neil was just the same money every year with no clauses, no bonuses, no no trades, no no movement, none of that stuff. Where Lucic's contract uh, was laden with all of those things, and and in fact, it's fairly amazing that they were able to trade him at all. But it took a, a you know they had to take some serious hits to, to move along from from Lucic. Well, one of the things Oilers were worried about was that they would have to protect Lucic in the expansion draft and by getting rid of him, they didn't have to worry about that. Well, it turns out Lucic has waived um, Calgary's need to protect him uh, and the chance of Seattle picking Lucic have got to be pretty close to zero, I would have to think. And unfortunately, we'll say the same thing about James Neal. Oilers have to decide what to do with him. If they buy him out, as you say, they save $3.8 million in each of the next two seasons of salary cap that they can use on another player, and then they have to carry a $1.9 million penalty for the two years after that. The overall savings would be $3.8 million. And it's, I mean, they traded it for, for, for what they got. I mean, they retained... $750,000 in salary on Lucic for four years. That's a $3 million hit right there. So even if they buy out Neil right now, their savings against the overall cap is pretty pretty marginal. But, I mean, looking at it in the immediate short term, next year and the year after, that $3.8 million cap space would be valuable. They just have to use it on the right player. It's two years at $3.8 million yes. the savings. Yeah, yes. not just one year. It's two yeah. years. He's got so, two years so- left. My concern is this for the Oilers. Do not pull a Pouliot on this. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if you're going to buy out the player, if you're going to buy wow. out the player, use that cap space. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Oilers, my recollection is Bruce, and fact check me if I'm wrong. The Oilers bought out Benoit Pouliot, which was a justified decision. He was, yep. a, he, he was a marginal NHL player at that point. And it was good to get rid of him. He wouldn't, if he didn't have a contract, he wouldn't be offered a new one for mm-hmm. sure by the orders heading for the next year. He had, right. he had failed, mm-hmm. but they didn't use the cap space. I don't think they used the cap space in the end. And look, what kind of madness is that? Like that is just, well, that is just 
it, that is the worst kind of cap management you can have. So if they're going to use the cap space from James Neal to bring in pieces that they need, they need a number. They need a. They need another goalie. They need mm-hmm. a. They need a top line left winger. Mm-hmm. They 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 might need another. They might depending on what happens with Nuge. They're gonna you know they're gonna need two. They need two wingers, two left wingers. One yep. of them is Nuge or Hyman or someone like right. that, and then they're gonna need another guy like Tatar or something like that. So mm-hmm. are they gonna use the money or not? If you're using the money, mm-hmm. then I'm then I'm okay with the buyout. So yeah. let's assume they use the money, I guess, and. If they don't use the money, that will be craziness. I guess I, I have baggage from from previous craziness with the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Normally, the normal team would have used that cap. I don't know why Shirelli didn't. You're talking about Peter more. Shirelli. Let's start there. Uh, but he traded in the summer of 2017 uh, after their one very good year under his watch. Uh, they traded Jordan Everly for Ryan Strom, which created almost $3 million in cap space. And they bought up Benoit Pouliot, which created 2.7 million in cap space. Both those moves, and they used some of it. And they they had a nice little nest egg of cap space that they could use at the deadline the next year to make their playoff run. Well, guess what? By the deadline, they were freaking 10 points out of the playoff berth or something. And they just thought, what's the point in, in trading for a rental when we're already out of it? So they just let it peter out. So, but the the cost of that decision was. That by not waiting a year on Pouliot, they had to they had to pay him out for an extra year, which this past season they were still paying for Benoit Pouliot. And I got good news for you, David, and Oilers fans. Next year they're still going to be paying for Benoit Pouliot because this year they went over the cap, and next year there's going to be a cap penalty because they one of the expenses on the on the. Uh, uh, on the balance sheet was Benoit Pouliot's buyout. I'm not quite sure what the figures are, and it won't be the full 1.3 million. But whatever they're over, you could say, well, if they didn't have that Pouliot contract, they wouldn't have been over at all. So that's that sucker's still not going away, even after you know four years after after he left town. And so here, Bruce, this year um, for the next two years, they still have seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Yep money on the Lucic deal each year plus 1.5 million dollars each year on the Sekera deal Mm -hmm. so by the time they start have to pay the penalty on the James Neal Neal deal the good news is Sekera and Lucic by then will be off the books so the so they will get it they'll get kind of an equivalent penalty close to a million call it two million so so they won't like in terms of roster construction it's like um Mm -hmm. yeah they're they're just going to keep having this suffering is going to continue, but at the same level, um, if they do the need for the next four years, they'll have this essentially about around $2 million, a little bit more in the first two years. I want to make the argument for keeping Neil um, more than just, because I think they will use the cap space. So I'm also actually in, I think they're going to use the cap space. I think Mm -hmm. that they'll, probably hopefully they'll use it wisely we can't say one way or another whether they will or not but i think they'll they'll use it uh neil didn't i i thought neil was an okay player when he played last year like his two-way play is a fourth line winger like if he was your fourth line winger um this year he's 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 could he not be your cory perry in the playoffs could james neil not fulfill that role of of that guy on your team, you know, the gray beard who plays like he didn't, I didn't think he was terrible 
in the playoffs. He had been good the year before. He was kind of uh, meh on a on on the Oilers this year, but you know he's not a terror. Like I think he can still play in the NHL. I think that um, if he was on a one million dollar contract or seven hundred thousand, I don't know what Corey Perry makes, but that kind of deal. That it's, yeah, if he was on a seven fifty deal, he's not the worst player to have around as you uh, as someone you who you shift onto your fourth line and in the playoffs he probably step up and do well for you. And by delaying the buyout. Um, one year, then you just have what would it be then? Um, the buyout would be for two years, well, over two years, then Bruce, mm-hmm. you have one year of capital, yeah, one and one, yeah. one year of penalty, yeah. So, one year where you'd save the 3.8 million or whatever it is, and the one year of the penalty of 1.9. So, that's do you suffer through and do that? I, I guess you really have to think like it, it really comes down to is. Is there, do you really need that money right now? Is there a player lined up? Because mm-hmm. um, if there isn't, if you're just going to, mm-hmm. if you don't have someone really where you're going to use that money, then don't do it. So for me, it comes down to that. Right. Are you going to use that money in India? And probably mm-hmm. they are, you know, probably they are. So that's why I favor the buyout. And that's why I say, but if it's not like he can't play in the NHL anymore, I think that he could. I think he might get a job if they buy him out. I think there might be a team that would give him a one year deal. Yeah. Oh, sure. Just like Andrew Secker got a job, but at a, like a, a quarter of his old salary. And same with Pouliot, it's, you know, a quarter of his old salary or somewhere in that range. And Neil, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. Corey Perry got 750000 to play for Montreal Canadiens this year and to keep playing for him. James Neal got 5750000 to play for the Oilers. $5 million difference. $5 million is Danny DeVito said in twins um you know i mean it's just way out of range and and the chances of him uh moving up and solving one of the oilers problems in the you know top six left wing where basically there's two openings as of now and he's the top guy on the list under contract who could move into the top six and play left wing except do you see him being able to do that physically able to do that we've had him for two years here He's been. He got injured twice in in uh, his first year. He got uh, he got COVID this year, uh, and he had uh, you know trouble with his endurance and and so on. Uh, he had one game. Remember when Pugliarvi got sick in Montreal and they had to make a last minute change and they put him up on the line with McDavid uh, for a game, to uh, and he just looked like he was in the wrong league. Uh, on that line, he was just so much slower and, no, in responding he's to not the play. that guy. But Bruce, he got, you know, I mean, they had him in the playoffs. He played two games. He got benched. He got, you know, no points, minus one, ten minutes a night. Like, you know, he just wasn't uh, really a significant part of it. Yeah, they have two players like that are similar, Chase on and Neil. And mm-hmm. like, if they decide, if they decided to keep one of them, it would obviously be Neil because then you don't have to do the. If you want to keep that similar type of player, someone who can help your top power play unit, I still believe James Neal can do that. He can, he can definitely be the, the a net front player, um, mm-hmm. and so he'd help. He, he can play the fourth line. He, I think he's a defensively responsible player. He's a, he's a. I think he's a good defensive player. He just doesn't give much on the attack anymore at even strength. Very little. He's not fast enough to get in there on the forecheck, especially when they start interfering in the playoffs. Like he, that was an issue. Like both him and Chason weren't fast enough once they got interfered with, and there was no call to then get in there afterwards, speed up again and, and win the puck. So yeah, 
I, I'm okay with the buyout. I mean, I'm okay with them moving on from both players, but if they decided to keep one of them, um, if, if, if that's how it worked out, I, 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 would I be, I don't think it's the right move, but I don't think it would be a disastrous move. And especially considering the buyouts are, they just, they just keep hurting for years and years to come. So, but I, I would buy them out as well. Bruce, the, the, I think Neil was a better winger, two-way winger at even strength this year than Zach Cassian. And that's mm-hmm. the player we're going to talk to talk about right now. Okay. I, I think Zach Cassian was abysmal as a two-way winger mm-hmm. for the Edmonton Oilers through this regular season. Now, in the end, he, he finally had a couple decent playoff games when he came back from injury. But they have a chance to move on from Zach Cassian. And let me just find the quote from you. Um, this... This is from early June. In early June, Bob Stoffer was on Oilers Now. And Bob is, you know, he's the ultimate Oilers insider. He He's right. connected with Oilers management. And not only that, he's he is right. works nonstop, working the phones, working his contacts, and he knows a ton about other NHL teams as well. So here's what he said. Quote, Zach Cassian, there will be teams interested in him. I could see Pittsburgh and the New York Rangers. But in fairness to Zach, I didn't mind what we saw of Zach in the third and fourth games of the Winnipeg series. And we've we've also heard this kind of an excuse over the years, the last few years. Well, Zach needs the fans to play well. I think that's a really lame excuse personally um, for a professional hockey player. Needing, I, I, maybe there's some truth to it, but I, it's like, man, that is a that's a poor crutch when you're when you're being paid like that and being paid to be a professional. You just got to go and. Anyway, Pittsburgh or New York, Bob's mm-hmm. saying that. I'm taking mm-hmm. that as Bob knowing that. And mm-hmm. if you, I'm going to go fold on Zach Cassian. If you have a chance to move a 31-year-old player who hasn't performed well in a full calendar season at even strength and had inconsistent periods before that, is making $3.2 million a year for the next three mm-hmm. years, He's at this point is probably like a $1.5 million player. If he was to get a new contract with a team, maybe 2 million. Um, if a team was really desperate for physical play, mm-hmm. I would move him. I would move him. I would move him pretty fast. I it wouldn't take me long to make that decision because I just, that's a lot of money, a lot of cap space. What's your take? Yeah. Well, my take is, uh, yes, I agree with you, Bob. It's, Stoffer is definitely uh, uh, probably the primary Oilers insider. I said earlier he's not a spokesman for the team. You know, like there's a little bit of a, it's a little bit muddy, but there's an arm's length relationship of of what he does versus what the PR folks on the team do. So, uh, and he's definitely, you know, he's got a lot of good information on his show. Uh, And... uh, there's reasons why those teams might be interested. I think Pittsburgh were very unhappy with their own performance in the playoffs. And everybody knows, everybody saw what happened, what Tom Wilson did against New York Rangers and the lack of a response from the Rangers until the next game. And, and uh, uh, even then, the Rangers probably didn't ice the starting lineup that they would have liked to have iced. I mean, they, they would have called up Ogie Oglethorpe for that game if they had him in the organization. Alrighty, we're back. Uh, we had some technical difficulties there. We um, versus computer blacked out, so we're we're starting up again. We were talking about Zach Cassian. I'm waiting going to splice it together and cut out that bad audio. I don't know if I can do that on the. I'll figure it out. Anyway, Zach Cassian, Bruce. Um, 
there's teams interested him. You, you were just talking about how the, how it made sense that the Rangers and uh, and the Penguins might be interested in him. Bruce, I just I just think um, this this comes down to is there a better use of that cap space or not? Right. Is that cap? Yeah, and I think if he was a free agent right now, would get a one year deal probably at about maybe as because he's an enforcer because teams want enforcers. I could see him getting as much as two million a year, maybe even on a two year deal. But three years at three point two million, no. The Oilers are up against the cap. They, yes, they could use toughness, but does Zach Cassian really provide that? He's not a great defensive hockey player. Um, you know, he's not a good enough. If he if he was a brilliant defensive hockey player, you could play him with McDavid and Drysaddle or McDavid and someone else. But he he's not that. Mm-hmm. He he's not. Uh, you know, when they play Cutter Yamamoto with Drysaddle and McDavid, he's really strong covering for those guys in the defensive slot. Such a smart hockey player. That's why that line was so, one of the reasons that line was so effective. They had great goals for, but they didn't give up hardly anything in their own zone because Kyler Yamamoto played center often in the defensive zone, covering the defensive slot. Um, That Cassian doesn't do that. And it's too late. He's not going to do that. I'm, I'm good with using that. If they have a plan for that cap space and you can bring in a player who will fit well with Connor McDavid or, and, and another winger to fit well with Leon Dreisaitl, I'm cool with using, get moving on from Cassian and bringing in that player. How about you? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, there are people out there that'll argue that if uh, the Oilers gave up Cassian in a, in a minute, they'd be looking for the same player. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would suggest they're looking for that player now in terms of what he's brought them in the last year and a half, like he had, he had a terrific calendar 2019. He scored 24 goals, 50 points in 82 games between January 1st, December 31st, mostly playing with McDavid and actually mostly playing with McDavid and Drysaddle. But the team became such a uh, tire fire defensively by December of 2019 that eventually um, uh, Dave Tippett broke up that line. And the team turned it around in January of 2020, as you'll recall. And part of the reason that they did was they they rearranged their line structure with McDavid, Drysaddle, and Cassian on three different lines. Uh, and Cassian stopped scoring immediately, and he hasn't really got his goals going back. I mean, this he's had uh, four goals in his last 47 games, I think, since uh, calendar turned to 2020. Had two goals, three assists this year. Uh one fight, like, I mean, you call him an enforcer, he fights his own battles and he fights them hard and vigorously uh, when he does. Uh, I don't see him as a, as an enforcer, protector type of player. And honestly, in, the, in this day and age, I'm not even sure how relevant those guys are. Uh, and, you know, New York Rangers might be interested in him to, to counter Tom Wilson. Well, Cassian and Wilson are, are similar players in some respects, but uh, Wilson, to me, he brings it. Every time I see Washington, he's a factor. And I, I, every time I see Edmonton, which, of course, is way more often than Washington, I can't say that about Cassian. It's more uh, once in a while. he's you know He makes a real big impression on a game, and a lot, a lot of times he's pretty close to a non-factor. And at $3.2 million, you need more. So he ranked out of, for even strength scoring this past season in the NHL for regular forwards in the league. He ranked 391st out of 432, mm-hmm. which is below uh, fourth line. It's really, mm-hmm. really weak amount mm-hmm. of scoring. He wasn't, you know, when he was signed, he wasn't. He was signed as a player who could f- 
slot into the top six now and then that's not even scoring and then we know his defensive play is not great that said you know there's there's players at that level of scoring Bruce Wayne Simmons and and Matt Martin uh mm-hmm. Andrew Cogliano and Riley Nash no Nash and Cogliano are kind of bubble players now but Martin and Simmons are kind of viewed as valuable players on their team but I think mm-hmm. it was because they were fulfilling that um in tough guy role but they were probably playing better defensively than Zach Cassian, I'm going to guess. And I can't say this with certainty because I don't watch these players closely, but I'm going to guess Matt Martin um, is a really strong and smart defensive hockey player. And if, if Cassian brought that aspect, I mean, they, they can't use him on the penalty kill, Bruce, because they, they found out over the over time that he just, he doesn't make the right reads. He doesn't get his stick in the right place. He's just, he's not that guy on defense. If he had that aspect of his game, it would be really easy, I think. Just to argue to keep him, it's not there. It's not going to be there. Uh, you have a chance to move this guy, move out a contract of a 31-year-old guy who's making, uh, you know, probably twice what he's what he's worth right now. I just, you just do it in an instant. And and especially if you could get second round, like what if they could get a third round pick, a second round pick, or a, a useful you know, third line center for Zach Cassian. Could you get us like, depending, maybe there's a bidding war between Pittsburgh and the New York Rangers for Zach Cassian. And they actually have to offer something good. And, and all these teams, Bruce, they have to fit. They've got to fit, um, uh, under the, um, expansion draft, you know, expansion draft thing. They can only protect four forwards or seven forwards, depending on which way they go. And maybe that works for them is trading. Some of the owners could use it forward for Cassian, if they, if they determine that Seattle will never take Cassian, so they could trade a player that they think Seattle would take and then, and, um, then bring in Cassian instead of him because they, they think for whatever reason, Seattle's not going to take him. I don't, is there any race Seattle would take Zach Cassian? I I don't think so. Depends what they're looking for. I mean, the one thing about the expansion teams is that you always think they want the very best player off your roster. Uh, but they're not looking for the best player off of 30 teams' rosters. They're they're trying to build a team. So they may be trying to fit a piece here and a piece there and, and make an odd selection here and there, like Vegas did with Derek Englund, for example, where they wanted a player for a particular reason. Now, I don't see that as being uh, Cassian, although he's certainly one of the more notorious uh, players who would be available in the, in the draft. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about Matt Martin and Wayne Simmons. Well, they both had a cap hit of one point five million this year. Boom! You know? Yeah, there you go. Uh, not three point two, and I think if you look at Ryan Reeves as another example, he's in that same range. And you know, they're they're uh, uh, like I say, those are guys. At least when I see them, which is much more rarely, they always seem to be doing their thing, and. Cassian is he's he's been so sporadic. I mean, he, like I say, he had one fight last year, and that only happened in the first shift after coach called him out. About 15 games into the season, he went into Ottawa and he took out the biggest guy on the other team two seconds into his first shift off the faceoff, and he broke his hand. Well, that didn't help, and obviously, I mean, that had a, a deleterious effect on his season. So did the other injury he had. He only played half the games, but. Uh, bottom line is he didn't do a heck of a lot to help the Edmonton Oilers last year for that 3.2 million. 
Bruce, we're just getting rid of all the gray beards here between you and I, man. We're just getting rid of Cassian. We're getting rid of Neil. We're getting probably move on from Chase on. And Ken, Ken Holland. <laughs> Ken Holland. Chris Russell. Ken Holland says he wants these gray beards. I, I mean, I um, I see the value. Like we see Corey Perry. But Cassian is, he didn't start at the high level, MVP level of Corey Perry. He started considerably below that and he's trending down. Again, you got a chance to move a player who's trending down his earning as much as that casting is. You you take that chance. Now, if you have to eat half his contract, why would you do it? Because we've just right. said, like, at half the money, that casting probably makes sense right. for your team. Mm-hmm. So, no, it, it just has to. It, but if some team's willing to take on that contract and give you something back, wow, you jump on that. Bruce, the last player on our list today is Kyle Turris. Bruce, mm-hmm. hold or fold on Kyle Turris. Okay, I'm in the hold camp, and let me define that very clearly. Uh, I think you're going to need hold, to. <laughs> holding would be a buyout, and a buyout would mean holding him onto him for two years. To me, a hold is you hang on to the second year of the contract because there's no way to, to move on from it, but you bury the guy in the minors, and you bury like 1.125 million of the 1.65 million cap hit, and you eat the other $525,000. And you bury your head in shame that you, you know, and nothing against Kyle Turris. Ter- he's a good man. He did great stuff in our community for Glen Rose Rehabilitation Hospital, right? He got, uh, uh, he got nominated for the King Clancy Award. Uh, but he is past it as a hockey player. And he got bought out in Nashville, which is a great big whopping clue, Ken Holland, that maybe he's not the player that he used to be. And uh, they quickly signed him to a two-year deal, and now that second year is just hanging over, like so. Uh, but I don't get into the buyout, and I don't know any other way you can you can move on from the guy other than do what they did with Brandon Manning and bury him in the minors, you know, and just eat eat the remaining residual cap hit and, hi- and bury as much of it as he can. As we were talking about last week on the podcast this this was a this was a real bad miss by the orders organization yep. bruce yes it was this third line center like one of your core 12 players third line center mm-hmm. you got to yep. hit on this player you got to get yep. it right and um you know last week on the podcast I, I i was saying i was bringing up archie henderson in the context of this and, mm-hmm. and playing a lot playing uh, placing a lot of blame on archie henderson since that time bob stoffer has been on orders now and you know mike mike call my post on this in our discussion kicked off a, a more general a, a conversation about how mm-hmm. these decisions are made on owners now and bob made some good points i thought and specifically he said on this particular player dave tippett was the guy who spoke up for signing um kyle Turris. so and you know the pro scouts weren't that keen on this guy tippett was now really the buck stopped with ken holland and that's the point i should have made uh, I, I think right. I did make the point that we had imperfect knowledge as I was yes. talking about it last week. We don't, mm-hmm. and we still don't, we still don't have mm-hmm. full knowledge on this. Right. What we're, we're going on, you know, what, what mm-hmm. Bob has said on orders now, but the buck stops with Ken Holland, what? no matter what. And Ken Holland, Ken Holland is responsible for this decision. And if he was listening to Tippett, well, you gotta, what he has to do is, is like, when he listened wow. to Tippett on Mike Smith, Bruce, it, it looks like it's worked out. It worked out last yeah. year. He listened to his coach. But his coach last year, at least, would have, 
would have been going on a strong playoff performance by Mike Smith in the playoffs, his knowledge of Mike Smith. And then last year when they re-upped Mike Smith, mm-hmm. how Mike Smith played with the team, like what Dave Tippett was seeing every day with this player. And he, right. he came back and said, you know, that's not a, probably not a bad option. And Holland would have done the same thing having seen him every day. Mm-hmm. How much did Dave Tippett watch Kyle Torres play in Nashville? How up to date was his knowledge on that? So these are the questions I would ask. Like, what is the process that right. led to the Oilers bringing in uh, Kyle Turris, you got to correct that process. If it's just some guy, because this is the mm-hmm. same mistake they made on Griffin Reinhardt. They yeah, were going I on what they had say. seen. Okay, well, let you make the point. Go ahead and make it. Yeah, because yeah, in a very, very subsequent po- uh, podcast, we talked about the amateur scouts. And uh, we we're talking about uh, Keith Gretzky and Bob Green and now Tyler Wright and Bob Green. And, and uh, the point was raised that Bob Green was uh, supposedly part of the process and the Griffin Reinhardt decision and i said in that case so the ball for me ultimately rests in the court of the gm that pulled the trigger on the trade and i mean he gets the best information that he can and he makes the move and uh, on the tourist <coughs> signing you, you suggested uh, um that whoever made the recommendation to the oilers ought to you know ought to have his status reviewed well if it was dave tippett well that's a that's a black mark on his record Tippett was coach in Arizona when Turris, uh, in imperfect memory here, uh, demanded a trade, got traded out of uh, out of Arizona or Phoenix at that time for uh, to Ottawa, and then he coached them later in the World Championships and had a good experience in you know two weeks and whatever in 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 Europe uh, several years ago. And this was before the guy was deemed good enough to, by Nashville to make a big trade for him and then sign him to a big long-term contract. Well, Nashville subsequently has reached the decision that that was a huge error on their part. Like, they made a way bigger mistake than the orders did, but the orders still made a mistake. And they, you know, they haven't got a 3C in Kyle Turris. They don't have a, I don't think, at this point, a viable NHL player. So they just have to, because it's over the amount they can bury in the AHL, well, you bury what you can and then you just, eat the rest so it's going to be like 500k and dead dead cop space i don't see really any other outcome for that so i went too hard on archie henderson and blaming Mm -hmm. him for the tourist thing it looks like based on what bob is saying so i was incorrect Mm -hmm. to do so what i what i would say is that what like with we, we we don't have and we could never have like perfect information about how these decisions are made nope uh so what we do have is though is this there's is something wrong with the process here and it was and the if the process isn't that you're not going on the latest up-to-date information of the person who has eyes on that player in in his most recent 30 games or full mm-hmm. season yeah your process is badly flawed mm-hmm. and if you also don't have good analytical data on the last you know, two seasons and especially the last season, if you don't have really strong analytical data, which for me isn't like all the publicly available on ice stats. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about services or people on your staff who are looking at the individual attributes of that player and breaking it down in a systematic way into numbers. So you can compare them to other players, his numbers to other players' numbers in in that kind of systematic fashion. If you don't have both those things in your decision-making, um, you're, you have a, you have a problem in process in your organization. And I think that the, the tourist signing is a red flag, a, a huge red flag waving in the, you know, mm-hmm. waving over the, uh, the capital once the bad guys have taken over, um, <laughs> that you have a, you have a major problem with your process 
Now it could be yeah. that I'm inc- now there's a chance I'm incorrect in this, and that maybe everything looked rosy with Turris in in that mm-hmm. final season with 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 Nashville, and he actually it's just he had a sudden and unexpected drop off in performance. I, I doubt that's the case due to the buyout, and I just think this is the Oilers have really got to look from Daryl Cates on down. They've got to mm-hmm. look at and this think about hard about this decision and why you got this wrong and correct your process. And if they don't do that before this coming signing period, Bruce, they are going to make the same mistakes that they made with Kyle Turris this coming signing season. Yeah, well, I was smiling a minute ago. You were talking about imperfect information, what was going on, and my mind flashed to, to two scenes, uh, one an oil change when they uh, when they were oil's management. We're talking about the reasons that they traded for Jared Smithson. And the other to that scene in Boston where Chirelli is making the de- decision to trade uh, Tyler Sagan and thinking, well, it's still not perfect information, but it's pretty close where you literally were inside the room as these decisions were uh, uh, were being made. Now, we don't have that, but uh, but with, uh, with Kyle Turris, you know, we have, you know, the player that they got, which is an over-30 guy who's definitely on the... Uh, heading down the far side of the hill of his career. And really, David, the three guys here that we're talking about, James Neal, Kyle Turris, uh, Zach Cassian, uh, when I did my recent series of posts on the Oilers organization, I did the core 12, and none of them were anywhere near the core 12. And then I did the next group of players, and guess what? The top left wing, the top center, the top right wing were those three guys, Neal, Turris, Cassian, 10.6 million in cap hit for guys outside the top 12. Not even counting the 750,000 that they retained in the in, in getting Neil. So you can even add that on if you really want to be cruel. And they have one, two, and three years left on those contracts. It's not like even they're expiring. They're all hanging over the team going into the future. And when you look at a, a roster, you know, the salary cap, and you find dead, dead cap space, and we talk about Sekera and Pouliot and 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 uh, Lucic cap retention and so on, well, you can have dead cap space right on your team if you've got guys making big money and they aren't and they aren't earning it. And those guys are all guys, uh, uh, we can talk about the past. I mean, Shirelli brought in Cassian, uh, you know, uh, Shirelli brought in the Lucic problem. But ultimately, uh, Ken, Tur- uh, Ken Holland signed Cassian to the extension. He signed Turris, and he made the deal that brought in James Neal, but didn't really solve uh, the uh, the bleeding on the salary cap. So you know, it's his problems to fix now. I mean, no matter who was responsible for him originally, he's got to fix. And I he's still got like his work cut out for him. Yeah. I still like the Neal for Lucic trade. I, I mm-hmm. still think that that trade uh, had to be made. And I think, mm-hmm. think it was a good trade for the Oilers because yeah. he didn't swallow it. Because you can buy out Neil's contract, mm-hmm. they didn't swallow the ultimate poison pill on it. And it looked like that's where this was trending, that he they couldn't move him at all, a player they had to move, I think. And um looked like they were going to have to swallow a terrible poison pill. Or some people thought that, and he avoided that. I, I still see that as a win for Ken Holland. With Taurus, Bruce, I'm going to, by your definition of fold, or hold, mm-hmm. excuse me, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think you hold him and send him to the AHL. I don't think there's, I mean, could Kyle Turris, it's like Cassian, right? Like mm-hmm. In terms of defensive play, these are 30 plus 30 Not year good. old veteran players. Are, is there, is their defensive play suddenly going to improve? I just don't see it. And 
it's it's not going to happen. And the Oilers shouldn't in any way be counting on that happening. They should be thinking, Kyle, um, we're you'll be the elder statesman down in Bakersfield, uh, helping younger players, leading younger players. Are you can you are you prepared to do that? And mm-hmm. um, that should be the plan uh, with this particular player because. As a winger, Bruce, like when they moved them as a defensive center, it was a, it was one of the biggest nightmares I've seen on the Edmonton Oilers in the last fifteen years, which is saying a lot. It it was so not close to to meeting the standard that um, you just can't hope for that. As a winger, when he was placed on the wing, he's kind of like a super meh winger, fourth line winger who, you know, if you had to put him there for three or four games, maybe. He he wouldn't embarrass you like he'd, he'd hold his own like he'd be okay as a fourth line winger, but they got to do better than that on the fourth line as well. So um, he he might have a, a very valuable role though in, in Bakersfield if you know maybe he wants to be a coach one day maybe he that that's what he's thinking, and um, this would be an opportunity to go down there and 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 get involved in in a serious way about developing younger players helping them helping them along if that's his kind of whole focus in a way as being a support player down there um that might work out for both him and the Oilers like start him off on a, in a different direction if he wants to continue in his life in hockey um maybe that's what that's would be the sales pitch that I would have for Kyle Turris I think you have to treat people with respect and and that would be a respectful thing to say like it's the NHL thing in, in our view is over but we do see a, there could be a role for you and it, it could be a, a valuable valuable role and a, and a stepping stone to a new career Maybe he just wants to go to Europe uh, and keep playing, though, and and he could probably do that. Like, I mean, if he was in the AHL, he'd probably be a second line AHL forward, like, or maybe a top line AHL forward. For all I know, he could probably be a top line forward and on many European teams. So he could play in the Alan Quine, Seth Griffiths uh, role for uh, for Bakersfield if that's what they want. Now, so here's <laughs> the thing: I'm just looking at uh, at uh, Turris's career usage. And he was primarily an offensive player throughout his career. And in his last few years in Ottawa, uh, he started um, uh, close to 70% of his um, uh, face-offs were in the offensive zone compared to the defensive zone. And in his two years in Nashville, he was like 65-35, offensive to defensive. And then he came to Edmonton. And he had 38% starts in the offensive zone and 62% in the defensive zone. Like, they just cast this offensive player into a defensive role, and it just did not work, and it didn't fit. And so, I mean, we can blame Holland for the ultimate uh, signing of uh, of Tourists, and maybe it was Tippett's recommendation, but whatever, Tippett's job was to find the right spot for him in the lineup, and eventually the right spot for him was in the press box. But when he had him in the lineup, you know, hit that third line was just bleeding, bleeding goals on almost a gamely basis. Uh, I mean, we know, I mean, minus 11 and uh, well well deserved with uh, our own examination of the scoring chances and so on that uh, occurred when he was on the ice. It was not much offense and not much defense. Bad combination. And the penalty kill, which he was on the penalty killer in the season, it got crushed and it got better when he got taken off of the unit. Just think if they had found a way to crush it with that signing, you know, if they had found mm-hmm. that third line center, Bruce, yep. um, 
the team start to the year is different. Maybe we think a little bit different about Mikko Koskinen right now mm-hmm. without all those, you know, right. five alarm scoring chances, passes into the slot, wide open guy picking a corner on Koskinen. Maybe, you know, it's it was just a really, anytime you, you fail on a core 12 signing, that's a significant setback yeah. to your team. Yes. And I, I think, so the Oilers, um, you know, credit to them, Pugliarvi worked his way into the core 12. Mm-hmm. I think he's there for, for some time. Um, that really worked. Cahoon kind of, I'm going to, I'm, I'm kind of 50, 50 on that. I think it was a really good bet and it, and it was okay. It, it, it kind of worked, kind of didn't work. It wasn't terrible, but on this other one on uh tourist, it was really, really a, a tough thing for in the end for the player. And obviously it was for the organization as well. Well, do you have any other thoughts or are we? Oh, just one one more. We talked about Neil versus Lucic. And since the trade, uh, Neil has uh, uh, he scored nine goals, nine assists, 18 points at even strength in 84 games, 1.09 points per 60. And an effective cap hit is 6.5 million. Lucic, 124 games. He hasn't had any injury problem. Never has. He's always been a horse, Neil and Lucic. 11 goals, 22 assists, 33 points, 1.38 points per 60. More productive, better goal differential. Uh, Neil had some better production on the power play, but uh, not as much as you might think. Lucic had better um, possession numbers, better shot shares, and so on. Uh, certainly played a more physical game. Now, I'm not saying Lucic was a great player. I'm just not thinking the Oilers really won the trade based on that. And in fact, from a salary cap perspective, Calgary won the trade. So, yeah, there's Lucic has has found a new life in Calgary, mm-hmm. and and it could be that um, the problem in Edmonton was just a one of perception that we couldn't see what he was, what he could offer, um, because we were so disappointed in what he wasn't. And but I'm gonna so it could just be that Bruce, and you could right. argue this was a bad trade because of that. That it was a, a, a problem we had, not mm-hmm. a problem he had. But I think it was bigger than that. I, I think it was a problem that he also had. That mm-hmm. he, he needed a change of scenery. Well, so he, did Neil. And so did Neil. He needed, Lucic needed to move on. And right. I haven't been that disappointed with, with James Neal. I think, you know, between injuries and COVID this year, um, his, his initial play last year, I see him as a useful, I, I think James Neal has been a much better player a better player for the Edmonton Oilers than Luke Milan Lucic was as a two-way winger at even strength and certainly a much better power player. He's mm-hmm. been better for the Oilers than Lucic was in his final two seasons in Edmonton. Lucic was leaking goals against. He gave nothing on the power play. I think James Neal is a solid, a, a smart defensive hockey player who doesn't contribute much on the attack, but does on the power play. So I like his play better at even strength. Um, than, than what Milan Lucic was giving. Now, maybe Milan Lucic has upped his play in Calgary as a two-way player. But what I saw at Edmonton, no, it was time to move on, definitely. And um, Neil's been a better player, in my view, as a two-way hockey player than Milan Lucic was in Edmonton. So, a million and a quarter better? Pardon me? A million and a quarter better? Not possibly. That's the difference. That's, that's pretty significant. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I think there's an argument. You could make an argument that what Milan Lucci has been in Calgary, Milan has been in Calgary is better than what James Neal has been in Edmonton. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I can't say, I don't watch him up close and I can't say for sure. 
So I'm not going to take that on. But I, I, I will say that what Lucic was in Edmonton, Neil has been better than that. And I'm confident about that. So that's that's my point. And I also, right. the, the reason I'm also, I've made my point. I won't keep making and it. I'm still sour about that third round draft choice. And I bet you Daryl Cates is still sour about the $9 million. I mean, escrow dollars, but still several millions of dollars in front-loaded contract that he paid Lucic that he isn't getting back. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not thrilled that they got that great of a deal. Like, I do agree that something had to be done, and they did something. But I'm not, not looking back, like, all the extra chunks that it took out of us with retention, draft pick, real dollars. They paid a heavy, heavy price to move on from from uh, Lucic and I guess our conclusion here is one way they can recover part of that is to buy out James Neal which they never could have done with Lucic but... can you well Lucic could be bought out could he not oh, like, sh- yeah. yeah yeah he if, he if could... you want to keep all the cap hit and then pay his replacement and actually wind up with a net negative yeah yeah but it was so I'm just it's yeah, like it's... any player can be bought out it's just it was horrible to, to contemplate mm-hmm. doing so yeah. All right. All right, Bruce. Good talking to you today. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.